you know, when, when I talk to entrepreneurs, I tell them the, the, the worst time, the absolute worst time of trying to get money is when you need That's money. for real. And we needed the money. Otherwise, we were not going to get that Yahoo contract. But sometimes banks will take that that contract, knowing that you have a contract. Yeah, absolutely. Not. Today, you're absolutely right. Today, because we're in business 16 years and right. we have what they call a track, track record. record. <laughs> Stop reading my mind. That's uh, that New York thing. It is. Uh, but but we have a track record now. But we didn't have a track record then. then. So no one would give us the money. So you know what we did, which is what everyone told us not to do. We sold our home. That was Maurice Brewster and I discussing the process he went through to fund his business after winning his first corporate contract from Yahoo. This is MOB, Masterminds of Business, and I'm Gerald Johnson. Masterminds of Business is an uplifting and informative show about the accomplishments and challenges that entrepreneurs and corporate leaders face during their careers. Our guests have mastered the four building blocks of business, processes, people, customers, and resources through hard work and perseverance. During today's show, Maurice and I will discuss the processes and the resources building blocks as we delve into Mosaic Global Transportation, or as I like to call them, MGT. Today, our mastermind is a limousine and transportation magnet, Mr. Maurice Brewster. He was born and raised in Harlem, New York. He founded MGT in 2002. The National Minority Supplier Development Council named MGT its National Supplier of the Year. The National Limousine Association named MGT one of the fastest growing companies in the ground transportation industry. Silicon Valley's 100 Black Men of America and the National Limousine Association named Maurice the Entrepreneur of the Year. Meeting Planners International named MGT its Supplier of the Year. And in 2011, Maurice founded a nonprofit industry group called Minority Limousine Operators of America. In 2014, MGT was selected to visit the White House and Maurice met President Barack Obama to discuss the challenges that minority businesses face in today's environment. Without further ado, here is Mr. Maurice Brewster. All right. Oh, my goodness. I am so happy to have you here. Maurice Brewster is in the house. I can't believe it. I almost thought it wasn't going to happen, but somehow God let it happen. And I'm really, really excited about that. So we're going to jump right into this intimate, not intimate, but this question right here. Intimate, huh? I don't know about intimate, not intimate. Can we not not go intimate? No, we don't need to go intimate. (laughs) All right, Maurice. Just take me through, you know, take me, how did you get from, you know, you graduated college, I know you went to school, how did you get to own Mosaic Global Transportation? How'd you get there from after you graduated from school? It is a weird twist in that at college where I went to the largest and the, excuse me, the oldest black institution in existence, Lincoln University. All uh, right now. And... Um, In Oxford, Pennsylvania, where Lincoln is uh, situated, there is no transportation whatsoever. Zero. No transportation. Zippity-doo-dah. You were walking everywhere. All the time. A brother from New York is walking everywhere 
<laughs> Very uncomfortable when you're used to the iron horse in That's the right. yard. That's right. I so know. what what I did back then, not knowing what it was going to propel me into today, was I would rent a car and I would charge the students, my friends, to get into Oxford, Pennsylvania. And it was a reasonable price, you know, when there's nothing else available and you need to get to the supermarket, you'll pay whatever. I had a reasonable price, so much so that in one year I saved up enough money to buy a Chrysler Cordoba. A Chrysler? I remember that card. Corinthian. <laughs> leather. Leather <laughs> seats. <laughs> and, I remember that car. And I, then I, I used that car to transport uh, people to and from to go back home to New York and to go into Philadelphia. And the, it was such a nice car that the school, uh, it was the nicest car in the school. And, and so when <laughs> VIPs would come, like Dick Gregory came to our, yeah. uh, our school and, and other notable uh, individuals, we, uh, the school would hire me to pick them up from the Philadelphia airport or from the Wilmington, Delaware train station and bring them to the school. Well, there wasn't a grand scan plan for that. But when you look back then, in transportation, and you look to today, we're celebrating our 16th year of being in business as Mosaic Global Transportation, and the route started back in my college days. Well, you were just like, you know, I hate, you know, I was doing the same thing, but I still, you were like doing that little hustle thing that we do. You know what? It, it's the New York hustle. That's the new, you know, I'll tell you a little story because I don't want to steal your thunder, but I remember when I was in high school, I took this engraving class. Right, and we would engrave keychains, engrave everything, and that was what we were doing. But Gerald decided, I know what I can do. I can sell this stuff. I had a little side, little hustle, mm-hmm. trying to sell little keychains to all the little honeys that went to school and all, all of that. So I did do that. I didn't turn that into my full time business like you did, but you know I did do that. So now you were you were doing this. You got your car with the Corinthian lever, the Cordova, and I remember what was that the guy? The Opera Light. It had an Opera Light. It had Opera Light. It had the Opera Light on the side. What was the guy? I can't remember the actor who used to go. Multibon. Yeah, that's right. Oh, come on, I know everything. <laughs> man. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. And and you remember his his sidekick. Oh, the, the, uh, plane. the plane, the plane, the plane, the plane. Okay, right. that's there right. We go. There all right, we go. all right. We, we digress. We way digress. Too far. So now, what was the first job out of school? Where did you go? So right out of college, I, I studied business, minored in communications at Lincoln, and the E.I. Dupont, Dean oh. Morris and Company Incorporated. Okay, uh, was interested in me and uh, made me an offer, and I eventually went to work for them uh, in Wilmington, Delaware. In Delaware, uh, they hired me, they trained me, and then they moved me out to California. So my first corporate job, how I learned how to be the salesperson that I am, the business person that I am, was from one of the best corporations in the world, which was DuPont. They groomed me. They got me to the point where uh, they taught me skills. What Um, skills did you learn at DuPont, do you think? So at DuPont, I had natural salesmanship skills. But I'd say it was more like a street hustle kind of. <laughs> <laughs> they taught me how to fine-tune those skills into the corporate America. They taught me how to present in corporate America. They taught me how to speak in corporate America. They fine-tuned this vessel that you see in front of you today yeah. uh, because surely I wasn't, uh, I wasn't that fine-tuned. And I'll give you a quick story, Gerald. And this is a silly story. You're as old as I am, so you'll be able to laugh with this. People listening may, might not. But I remember the first days walking up and down the halls of Chestnut Run, Wilmington, Delaware, for DuPont. 
And I remember literally walking, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of brothers up in, in the house back in, in, in that day. <laughs> and I remember, though, when I was speaking to people, I would say, what's up? And my fellow white Duponer literally looked up in the sky and started looking up to see what was up. <laughs> well, I, I knew I had to change some things. I knew I had to change some things. So moving oh. from what's up to good morning uh, oh, and, and things of that nature. And I know that's a silly antidote, but, but it really was taking the, the kid from Harlem, fine-tuning that kid, using the skills that God had given me, and making me the person, the man, uh, the husband, the father that I am today. Well, you know, it's funny because I have a similar story. You know this. I went to work for mobile, and they did the same thing. They they fine-tuned me, and I loved that company, by the way. One, I really did. But they did fine-tune me into the person I am, gave me a lot of the skills, the corporate skills that I have to prosper in a corporate environment. And they trained you in all sorts of business. And I'm assuming that that happened with you in DuPont as well. Absolutely. After DuPont, what, what, what were some of the key jobs that you held that you would think you know? So right after DuPont, um, they paid me a very generous salary. Back in the day, I won't tell you what it was, but it was a good salary. <laughs> and, uh, but I found out about this thing called commission. And I found out that, you know, the better you were as a salesperson, the more you would get paid. Well, DuPont wasn't feeling that. They were saying, look, we gave you a great salary and benefits and company car and expense account and all that good stuff and be happy. And uh, that didn't make me too happy. Oh. So I transitioned from DuPont after working for them for uh, seven and a half to eight years to a commission job where uh, they would pay me based on my abilities. And uh, that was, at first, it was uh, working for the Scripps Howard uh, Business Newspapers in, in Los Angeles that then morphed over to selling uh, the Yellow Page advertisements, which, boy, I made a ton of money there. <laughs> and then I moved into the technology aspect, uh, not knowing that I was doing the right thing, but back then it was working for a company called GTE Sprint. I know that company. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Sprint was one of the two companies, two major companies that forced the divestiture of AT&T. And it forced AT&T to break up that monopoly and share what was now what was then called uh, the long distance market. Mm -hmm. So I was selling voice, video and data services to corporate America for GTE Sprint. Then I stayed with Sprint for almost uh, eight, nine years and um, then got recruited away from them to do the exact same thing for MCI, oh. which is now Verizon. Right. And then from there, uh, I hate to say this, but the highest bidder got my, my services because <laughs> I was in Silicon Valley and that was when everyone was going public. Okay. Uh, the dot com. The dot com era. Dot, oh, man, that was good stuff. That was oh. good stuff. Oh, that was good stuff. <laughs> oh, I, I know it'll never come back, but oh, I wish it would come we, back. Don't we all wish it would oh, come back? Oh, I wish it would come back. <laughs> anyway, so I did that for a, a number of years. And after going through the very last layoff that I went through with that whole phenomenon, I turned to my wife and I said, you know, Rhonda, I said, you know, I've been making these companies hundreds of millions of dollars. I turned to her and I said, you know what? I could make us a million. And my wife, who is loyal, dedicated, and loves her son, Maurice Brewster. She said, what? She said, go get a job. 
job. <laughs> Get a job. No, you're not quitting your job. No, don't do that. Anyway, so what we do when we don't agree on things, we pray on it. Right. And uh, we prayed over this, and two and a half or so months later, she came back to me and said, let's do it. And that was the start of us putting the pieces together of what was then Rolls-Royce limousine service, because we started off as a vintage car company selling weddings and special events in vintage Rolls Royces. So you had to, you went back to the Corinthian leather, but now you upgraded to a Rolls Royce. Oh man, I went to the Rolls Royces. <laughs> All right. And, and that was just, that was the, that was the, our stick. It was different than what everyone else was doing. And, but what we found is that we couldn't scale the business. So we changed from that model of vintage cars, specialty services, to now what is more uh, commonly known as the, the the limousine business or the corporate transportation business, which is what we're doing right now. So now you, you did that, uh, what do I call it? I don't want to say it's corporate speak, but I know about the scalability. I get that. So one day, you know, you had the vintage Rolls Royces. How many did you have at your max? We had the largest fleet of vintage Rolls Royces in the country. We had 13. 13 Rolls Royces. The, well, it was a combination of Rolls Royces and Bentleys. But at that time, Rolls Royce and Bentley was made uh, the same. Right. Uh, just different grills and different uh, hood ornaments, but but was made on the same assembly. They since then split up. But, but I had Bentleys and I had Rolls Royces. So you had one, you had two, you're growing, you must be growing. You got three, you got four. You have five. Now you have six. When did the light bulb go on and say, I don't want to do the 15th or 14th Bentley or Rolls Royce? What happened? What, what triggered that? We couldn't scale the business to the point where we could survive. Because you were, were you leasing the Rolls Royces? No, we owned them. You they, bought they, the Rolls Royces. We bought the Rolls Royces and remodeled them. Okay. And you could buy them cheap. Then. Okay. And you could buy. I could. I bought my first Rolls Royce. Paid more than I should have. I, I paid around nineteen thousand dollars. But subsequently, the Rolls Royces that I bought, I bought for four and five thousand dollars. Okay. And then I put you know five or seven or eight thousand dollars into it. As long as the engine was good, good, I just had to take care of the cosmetic part. Right. So I did that, and that's how we were able to buy so many Rolls Royces. But here's the here's the kicker. You couldn't do it. You, you had to buy tons of Rolls Royces. Right, to take it all over to the take, country. Well, no, forget the country. You had to buy tons of them because brides, for some stupid reason, <laughs> don't get married on a Tuesday. <laughs> they only get married on a Saturday or Sunday. Uh, so because there's only one Saturday and one Sunday per week, you would have to buy literally hundreds of, of Rolls, Rolls Royces, Royces, and that wasn't scalable. So now you figured out it's not scalable. What did you do next? At that time, we were at a hotel in Palo Alto, and uh, we were physically located there. We was, with 13 Rolls Royces, it was impossible to continue to work at a, out of our home in, right. Palo, in Palo Alto. So Did the, the neighbors think you were like... <laughs> You know, they, they were pretty cool because they were nice, nice, oh, okay. nice cars. Right. But it was a challenge at that point. What we ended up doing was the hotels, there was two of them that were co-facilitated in, in Palo Alto. I won't mention the names because I don't know if I have permission to do that. But they, they called me in and said, you know what, we like your business model. Would you mind working your business here at our hotel? <laughs> and their whole, their whole deal was... With all these Rolls Royces, I'll attract a lot of flies to the honey, right? bees to the honey. 
and and that will attract business for the hotels. And by the way, Mr. Brewster, you will get the benefit of that because all of our customers want to use you. Will become will become you. So so that was cool. So I did that. Did that happen by providence? In other words, absolutely. So that that happened. That was just somebody laying out the footsteps for you. Absolutely. You know the 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 scalability. That was all like hey. But all of a sudden, somebody just put something right in front of you to make it happen just the way it needed to. Yes, because we were picking up the brides and grooms from those hotels. Okay. So the general managers were seeing that, and they said, "This is good eye candy." So bam. That's what happened. So we brought the, the business up into the hotel. We did that for a while. And then this is what happened. Here's the piece de resistance. Okay, here it comes. Here it comes, y'all. Listen up. Listen up. Drum roll, please. <laughs> the general manager, two general managers called me to in for lunch, and I knew it couldn't be bad news. And they said to me at lunch, they said, we'd like you to consider moving our corporate customers. And I told them, I said, sure. I mean, you know, why wouldn't I do that? No problem. Joyce Brewster didn't raise no dummy. That's right. You want me to do that, I'll do it. Now, you don't mind me using the Rolls Royces, right? And they said, oh, no, 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 no. You've got to buy regular cars. And I said, no, no, that's not how I roll. That's not how you roll. <laughs> that's not how I roll. I have vintage Rolls Royces, and that's my business model. And they opened up their books, brother, and showed me how much business they were doing with the other kind of cars, and I bought my first town car the next day. <laughs> no and problem. That's how the business changed from wow um, strictly Rolls Royces to what we are right now, which is a corporate provider of, of ground transportation services. Wow, that is like wow. It's like mm, 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 mm. anyway. So now, so now you're in the right spot. You've gone from the thirteen Rolls Royces. You move to the hotel. They're giving you their corporate business. What happened next? Who got? How'd you get the next one? Well, because we were getting the hotel's customers, they became our customers. So that means Stanford University came. That means the hotels all in Palo Alto, which, by the way, we still are working with two of the major hotels in in Palo Alto to this day. I mean, we're we're celebrating our 16th year of being in business this January 2018, and we still are doing business with those those cats in, in, in Palo Alto. Uh, so then there, then, you know, again, then another light bulb came. I said, wait a minute. They've got corporate customers that I don't have to do anything to get because they're bringing them in. I just have to usher them around. So I said, that's a good business model there. So, so then we just started making relationships with hotels all over the place. And that's what then opened up the first major corporation that gave us a shot of business, and that was Yahoo. All right, so let me take so so this is how the hustle began. I'm going to say hustle, but so you you started with the 13 Rolls Royces with the brides and you and with the grooms, but primarily the brides. We all know it's a bride's day on the Saturdays and the Sundays. And by going and picking up the ladies at the hotels, all in a sudden, now the hotel said, "Hey, this eye candy will look good in front of my hotel." Bingo. Right? They'll, they'll look good. And that's just cuz you were doing the right thing. Now, because you're going to the hotels and you're picking up their corporate execs and that, and that sort of thing, now other corporations who are staying at the hotel, they're seeing you do this, this run back and forth, and now they become interested. Hey, hey can, I, can I get you to go for me for here? And now you expanded. So that's how, that's how Maurice Brewster actually got Mosaic Global Transportation started. Is that, would that be a fair statement? That was the, that was the first major 
second major development in my entrepreneurial career. First was hooking up with the hotel. The second was partnering with the hotel and using their corporate customers, who then eventually became my corporate customer. Got it. Thanks so much. That was excellent. We just learned how Maurice always had a love for cars and transportation, how he used his Chrysler Cordoba with its fine Corinthian leather uh, to transport faculty and students at Lincoln University. This is MOB, Masterminds of Business, and I'm Gerald Johnson. This is MOB number 10. And if you like what you hear, write a review and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Couple of quick programming notes. If you want to get in touch with us here at MOB, you can reach us at Sabacon Ideas on Twitter and on Facebook. That's S A B A C O N I D E A S. Or visit us on the web at sabacon.net forward slash MOB. We like to be inspired to do great things. So if you're a mastermind and have a great story to tell, give us a call. Please reach out. If you need help with your strategy, you can also call. I'm Gerald Johnson. This is MOB, Masterminds of Business. Coming up, Maurice and I will discuss resources and how Maurice got the funds he needed to take on his first corporate client, Yahoo. Oh, man. So we this is great stuff. Now I understand how kind of Mosaic Global Transportation came to be. But growing that fast, getting that many clients, you know, that must have cost money because I know you don't buy the cars. Do you? you said you bought the Rolls Royces. Do you buy the cars? No, no, we leased the cars. You leased the cars. But still, I mean, I'm assuming I don't know how this went, but did, you know, did the first cars you had to put down? How fast were you growing? What was going on? How did, how did this all work out? Well, again, like I said, in the first segment, we saw the opportunity at the hotel alone. Right. And we bought the first. Town car. Uh, town car. That Lincoln town car. That's correct. Everybody got to have one. All, every limousine. Do they still make these Lincoln town cars? No, no, no. They've, they've retired the uh, Lincoln town car, and it's now the vehicles that we're using are still Lincoln vehicles, but they're Continentals now. Because I still see those Lincoln town cars on the road. I still see stretch Lincoln town cars. I still see them. In 2018, I see them. That's right. Every time I see one, I go, that's my boy. No, let me stop. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, but it's not difficult to get vehicles because the vehicles are collateralized by, uh, the loan is collateralized by By the the vehicle. vehicle. So that wasn't a challenge. So we were able to grow pretty quickly to three or four town cars within the first year. Okay. And you were still doing the Rolls Royces at the time? Were we, you were still, we were mixing okay. it up. We were mixing it up. We hadn't transitioned away from the Rolls Royces. Uh, we didn't do that until two years later. Okay. Two years later in 2004, 2005. And again, we started in 2002. So all of a sudden, as time goes on, 2004, 2005, the bridal business is going down. I'm not advertising for that anymore now. I'm not focusing. You're not focusing. Focusing. I'm not going to the bridal shows. I'm not doing that type. Not doing the David's bridal Uh, thing. Right. uh, You know, all the networking that you have to do in that arena in order to get the bride and groom to come to you. So now you're focusing on getting corporate clients. That's correct. And so one corporate client was worth... A whole lot more than one bridal client, for sure, for sure, for sure. Bingo. Right? Okay. So now you're you're moving. You've bought your, you said, four or five cars in two years. What happens next? So then we face the first major hurdle in getting that Yahoo account. We we had to make some major investments in the business. Okay. 
What did and, Yahoo want from you? Well, they, they wanted technology. They wanted uh, newer vehicles. They wanted different abilities for their travel team to be able to electronically use the GDS or what's called the Global Distribution System for them, the travel agents, to be able to electronically send their requests through their software directly into our software. So that means we had to get that type so, of software. That's right. We had to make some some major investments. So, so how much, if you don't mind, how much money did you have to invest in your own business just to secure the Yahoo business? So About, we, not we, like, you know. We, we needed to invest somewhere in the vicinity of a million dollars. A million dollars. So this is this is key because, see, you know, sometimes entrepreneurs don't get this. Some It costs money to make money. And to grow, it costs even more money. Even if you're making money and you're profitable, if you want to take your business to another level, you're going to have to raise capital to do that. So you needed a million dollars, roughly, what, how did you, what did you do? What did you go? So you went, you know, I saw, I'm going to laugh. I was telling my wife something similar. So you went, honey, you said, guess what? We got the Yahoo account. Great. And then you said, honey, guess what? We got the Yahoo account. That's oh, it. Oh my God. That's it. So what, what we had to do is then we had to just go out and find a bank that would give us a million dollars. And did the first one just come, were they running down your door to give you a million dollars? They were running out of the door <laughs> to, to not give us a million dollars. I bet they it, were. It wasn't easy. It and, wasn't easy. Yeah. So what can ultimate, I, Can yeah. I just stop you real sure. quick? So many people think that getting a bank loan, you know, it's like buying a house. It is not like buying a house. And it is not like the first bank you go to, just in case you're looking for some money right now while you're listening, just because the first bank turns you down doesn't mean that another bank won't. There's so many issues that determine whether a bank will give you a loan or not. So, well, we and we we had not created a, a situation that allowed ourselves to be bankable. What do you mean by that? So the money that we used to start the business, which was just just under a million dollars, to buy vehicles and uh, to just get started up and equipment and and uniforms and all the different things that we had to do, the investment in remodeling all the vehicles, we self-financed that. Right. We had the money from all the investments that we had and from the money that I made in the dot-com. So The good old days. Yeah. So we, we didn't need a bank. Right. And that was our first mistake. You know, when, when I talked to entrepreneurs – I tell them the, the, the worst time, the absolute worst time of trying to get money is when you need That's money. for real. And we needed the money. Otherwise, we were not going to get that Yahoo contract. But sometimes banks will take that, that contract, knowing that you have a contract. Yeah, and absolutely. Not. Today, you're absolutely right. Today, because we're in business 16 years and right. we have what they call a Track, track record. record. <laughs> Stop reading my mind. <laughs> That's uh, that New York thing. It is. Uh, but but we have a track record now, but we didn't have a track record then. then. So no one would give us the money. So you know what we did, which is what everyone told us not to do. We sold our home. Mm. We said that we're going to be all in. And my wife and I, it was a tough decision for us to, to make, but we, we believed in ourselves. We believed that God had, had given us this wonderful, beautiful opportunity that was going to allow us to uh, succeed and bless other people and, and do the things that we felt our faith leads us 
to believe. You put it all on the line. You sold your home. That is what entrepreneurs do if you really believe in what you are doing. Yes, indeed. The people, they see you and they say, oh, man, I wish I could be like Maurice Brewster. I wish I could. Do. But they're not willing to do what you did to have what you have. So you have to be willing to do some of these things to have what some of the people we see, you know, didn't come just by uh, osmosis. Right, or, or osmosis or a silver spoon. That's right. Because there was no silver spoon growing up in Harlem in my mouth. That's for real. You know, I, we had some plastic spoons <laughs> that looked like silver. You had plastic, you had spoons. I, did you? Oh, see, I was in Brooklyn. It, Brooklyn, Jeff, we didn't have it. no spoons. You used <laughs> chopsticks in Brooklyn. That's what you did. Right? We didn't have no oh, spoons you didn't in have Brooklyn. Spoon. Chopsticks, that's what you did. Uh, oh, my goodness. So, okay, so did a bank finally come through for you? Um, no. No uh, bank came through. No so, bank, you sold no. your, so you sold your home. You did say that. You sold yeah. your home. Yes. You got, did you get enough money? Did you get all the money from selling your home that you needed? Oh, we got plenty. You got plenty. We got plenty. So we uh, were able to p- position ourselves so that we could get that first major contract. And then our logic behind that was if we could just market the fact that we are doing business with, with Yahoo, Yahoo then maybe we could do business with you and you and you and you. That's right. And guess what? It worked. It worked. Of course it worked. It worked. It worked. It worked. You've been listening to Maurice Brewster tell us how he raised the funds necessary to obtain the Yahoo contract. I'm Gerald Johnson, and this is MOB, Masterminds of Business. If you want to get in contact with us here at MOB, you can reach us at Sabacon Ideas on Twitter and on Facebook. That's S-A-B-A-C-O-N-I-D-E-A-S. Or visit, visit us on the web at sabacon.net forward slash MOB. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, okay? Do you need to refocus or optimize your business? Reach out. We can help make your business better. We continue with Maurice Brewster telling us about his next corporate client. Which was the second client? So you got Yahoo. Which was the next client that came Good on? question. Good which question. So, okay, so Yahoo gave us uh, the opportunity to have a national account. Right. Uh, but they were only giving us local business. Okay. But everybody didn't know that. That's true. And I didn't tell everyone all that either. That's you know, right. I, I, I just told them the you truth. Grew, you grew up in New York. We, we got Yahoo. That's right. Didn't tell them where it was. <laughs> but no, but then the second big client that we got after certification was Johnson & Johnson. Ah. And that was a legitimate national deal. Wow. We, uh, we, we won the, uh, the RFP. And from that point on, now I'm saying to people, we're doing business with Yahoo and Johnson & Johnson. I'm sure we could. You know, we're doing business with uh, uh, the number 27th company, largest company in the world. That was smoking. Unless you're 26 and younger, 26 <laughs> and new, or you're bigger. Right. If you're 28 and, and, and smaller. That's right. Then I think I can handle you. That's right. And that was my pitch. That was your pitch. And it worked. And it worked. So now you had Yahoo, you had Johnson and Johnson, and Johnson and Johnson was a global account. Absolutely. So take me through what that meant because I understand locally. I pick somebody up from the airport, I drop them off to Yahoo headquarters. I I get that. And how did you make that happen? In other words, if somebody said, "Hey, I work for Johnson and Johnson. I want you to pick me up in New York," and you're, a, how did you make what the first time? How did you make this happen? So if I could dial you back just 
one stage before I answer that question. Go ahead. You die. Um, You're uh, driving. You're always driving. <laughs> the J&J the J &J opportunity was a $16 million opportunity. Okay. And we won. Now, hold your horses. What we won, Johnson & Johnson figured out that there was no way that a company at that point in time, we were just a $2 million company, uh, that a $2 million company could handle $16 million. Right. But what they did, because they were so impressed with the presentation and who we were as a company, that they uh, unbundled the RFP and the award. And instead of saying that one company is going to win all $16 million, they broke it up into 10 different parts. Okay. So we won three of the $16 million. Wow. And... Um, uh, and, and that was then that was the start of our growth with Johnson and Johnson. And I could tell you today, fast forward to today, you have all sixteen. Uh, no, <laughs> I wish we did, but but I could tell you today we still have the contract with Johnson. I, I and bet Johnson. you do. So not only did the certification open the door and get our pinky toe in the door. Or can I say in the dough? In the dough. In the dough. Can I say in the dough? <laughs> you can say, you can just say, say you, can, you say, you can't say in the dough. Does Frank say it's okay to say dough? Frank, is it okay to say dough? Okay. okay he's shaking his head. Frank Sterling's shaking his head. It got our pinky toe in the dough. And that allowed us to prove ourselves. And uh, then the second iteration of the contract came and we won more. And you won more. And then the third iteration of the contract came and we won a little bit more. So uh, Yahoo was our local shot. Johnson & Johnson was our global shot. shot. So now, okay, so, man, you're he's an is he an inspiration, y'all? He's an inspiration. Woohoo! Woohoo! I want to know how you scaled from being the local guy to, so now you got the Johnson Johnson, and now whether it was the three, and there's one in New York. When did you have to, and how did you handle it? When did you have to scale out, and how did you handle it? That's a, that's a great question. And, um... You would be a great straight man if you had a radio show. <laughs> Why would I be the straight man? <laughs> because you asked a great question. All right, all right. Um, so what ended up happening was we, we figured out that, okay, so we're picking up Gerald from his home, taking him to the airport. And then when he comes back home, we're picking him up at the airport right. and taking him back home. We said, well, is there a way for us to get into Gerald's pocket when he lands in New York, right, or when he lands in Hong Kong, right. or when he lands in Atlanta, Georgia, that's when we said, you know what? Why don't we do? Why don't we adopt, if it's possible, this whole FTD model? FTD, the florist model. The florist model, where you, you buy mom's flowers in San Francisco, but the San Francisco florist doesn't deliver the flowers right. to mom in Atlanta. Right, it, another florist does, does. it. So, th so therefore, there is a network of of florists. That, so, why can't we make that work within the limousine business? And there were big companies doing that already. So, I I I wasn't the one splitting the atom in this deal, but definitely for my size company, uh, no one else my size was was looking at doing that and competing with the the big boys of of our industry, which at the time and still is today, you know, the Boston coaches or the carry limousines. Mm. Um, those are the, you know, half a billion dollar, you know, companies. Right. You know. But you had something special. So let me ask it this way. You had something special. I mean, I don't know it for a fact, but I know it for a fact because 
the hotel, when you first started, they saw something in the way you did business. And then the people who were at the hotel stay saw something different about the way you were doing business in order for them to want to offer you a contract. So now you have this secret sauce that makes your limousine service different, better, better than, or a better service. How did you translate that to another company, uh, you know, on the on the other side of the country or other side of the world who didn't have that? What did you do to ensure that they would act the way you would act so that your reputation, that your uh, brand would stand out? We had to train them. We had to train them. We had to vet them. We had to um, uh, let them know that here I'm bringing you on a silver platter an opportunity to do business with a company in your market that you're not working with currently in your mm -hmm. market. So if you want to work with me and partner with me, let's grow this thing together. So if you agree to that, then I need you to do some things. And that was the training. Uh, so the things that I replied to in the RFP, the request for proposal, for uh, J Johnson & Johnson and, and, and the plethora of others that we, we're doing business with right now, uh, uh, whatever I said in the RFP, I had to make sure that my partners would agree would to do. do. And that wasn't a difficult task because, again, I'm bringing on a silver platter an opportunity of fifty, seventy, eighty, dollars $100,000 a month of, of business. business. So if someone's going to do that, either you're going to say yes or no. And, and there wasn't one person who said no. Now, they might not have always performed, but everyone was willing to join in on the party. Uh, for us to be able to all share in this opportunity. Now you, you fast forward again, you know, since we started that, you know, 10 years later, because, you know, we, we started that whole partnership, affiliate partnership across the country. You know, it's, it, it's, it's absolutely representing s close to 70 to 75 percent of our total revenue now. We don't do 70 to 75 percent of our revenue in our vehicles. It's relied on our partners to all across it. the world. And do they, just one quick question, do you ever, have you ever run into them uh, trying to steal a contract from you uh, or knowing, you know, or trying to, have you had any, any problems, unforeseen problems with that? We've had some small problems, uh, but he, this was the, the comfort that I had that allowed me to sleep at night. The contract that we have with these major corporations today, Gerald, are contracts that have the travel management team sending their reservations through the global distribution system, which is a system that's embedded in a travel agent's computer mm -hmm. and allows them to send the order electronically into my reservation system. Right. The small guys that I'm working with don't have that. Ah, so they may be able to steal a person or not. two, but not the not the account. So you, what you're telling me is going back to that Yahoo deal when you had to sell your house to put the money into the business to get the equipment and the computer services uh, to be able to do business with them in, is the same. Uh, dollars that are funding your ability to stave off the competition all over the country. Pretty much. Pretty much. That was Maurice Brewster telling us how he firmly entrenched MGT 
as a corporate limousine provider. You're listening to MOB, Masterminds of Business, and we are focused on delivering business knowledge from the masters of business. I'm Gerald Johnson, your host, and this is MOB number 10. We like hearing from new masterminds. So if you're a mastermind and have a great story to tell or a question to ask or need some help with your strategy, please get in touch with us. To reach out, you can use Twitter or Facebook at Sabacon Ideas. That's S-A-B-A-C-O-N-I-D-E-A-S. Or visit us on the web at sabacon.net forward slash M-O-B. And please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. We will continue with Mr. Maurice Brewster telling us what getting certified as an MBE did for his business. I also found out about this opportunity for small and minority businesses that I was absolutely uh, reticent about pursuing. It was this whole thing called getting yourself certified as a small business and getting yourself certified as a minority business. I thought of that as going back to the days of affirmative action and handouts. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't feeling that. I I wanted to grow the company without any handouts. I wanted to be a good company based on the fact that we were just a good company. What I failed to realize is that the certification process is nothing like uh, affirmative action. It's nothing like handouts or freebies. Let me tell you something. No corporation gives any handouts. They may give you a $100, but they, but that's about it. No corporation <laughs> gives any handouts. What we found out was that the certification was actually a door opener. And what it did was, just like what I experienced in the uh, divestification of monopolies of AT&T, AT&T? And, yes. and Ma Bell, Forcing equal access, which is what you called it back then, in today's version of certification, it was equal access in allowing small and minority businesses to play in the arenas of the big boys. So it gave you, it just opened the door. It opened the door. After the door is open. You got to do your thing. You got to do your thing. Uh, You know, there's there's a woman who is the former president of the uh, NMSDC who said uh, certificate, uh, not Harriet, but who, who replaced Harriet. Okay. Her whole attitude is that certification is an invitation to the dance. That's it. Now, when you go to the dance, there's no guarantee. Got to be dressed good. That you're going to dance. No, you have to dress right. You got you to gotta look your part. Yeah, shoes got to be shined. You got to be ready. That's right. You've got to have your act together. But it at least gets you into in the arena of doing business with the other big boys inside your market. That's right. And as long as you felt that you could do that, then it, you would you'd be able to compete with and for and and that's what ended up happening. So we got our certification in 2008. Okay. And uh, so we've been certified now um, what nine eight going on uh, ten years actually ten years now. And uh, I can tell you that that was the next big thing. That was the next big thing. The next huge thing. We just learned 
what being certified by the National Minority Supplier Development Council as an MBE did for Maurice Brewster, Brewster's business, Mosaic Global Transportation. This is MOB, Masterminds of Business, and I'm Gerald Johnson. This is MOB number 10. And if you like what you hear, write a review. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. A couple of quick programming notes. If you want to get in touch with us here at MOB, you can reach us at Sabacon Ideas on Twitter and on Facebook. That's S-A-B-A-C-O-N-I-D-E-A-S. Or visit us on the web at sabacon.net forward slash MOB. Coming up, Maurice will tell us what the future holds for the limousine industry. And now, you told me how you got your first corporate contract now things are changing. We're into the world of Uber and Lyft. The Uberfication, is Uber trying to do something into your business? Is that a threat? It's absolutely a threat. But And I have to be careful about how I say this because I don't want to come off arrogant because what, what Uber and Uber Technologies offer is a great offering. But it was never the client that... That, you were going um, that we were going after. The clients that we go after, the, the, the business that we get, are the clients that care about things like duty of care. And, duty, and what duty of care means is that the company that's showing up has been vetted. They have the, uh, the appropriate commercial insurances. Their chauffeurs have been background checked, drug screened, fingerprinted, all of those things so that when you get in the car with one of my chauffeurs or one of my chauffeurs in my network, everyone has gone through that scrutiny. Whereas with the TNCs or the Ubers, mm-hmm. uh, which is what they're called, the transportation network uh, companies, they don't go through that lengthy uh, background, which is why a lot of the problems uh, have been uh-huh. happening where people have been getting raped, have been getting robbed. All kinds of bad things are happening because you're letting individuals drive their personal cars to pick people up who have sketchy backgrounds. Now, so I hear, so now I'm just thinking in the future, do you think that somebody in Uber or Lyft can see what you have and solve that problem or we, solve the problem we of want duty them, of care? We want them to solve that problem. You want them to solve Absolutely. We, we, want? we want equal pairing because think of it this way, and, 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 and we could probably have a whole other show about this. but If you want, we can do it. But here's the deal. We want them to go through that scrutiny because today it's an unfair uh, advantage. advantage. They don't pay taxes to the, to the uh, airport, but the airport takes taxes from, you. from me. That's, that's unfair. That's, not, that's unfair. I have to have a minimum of $750,000 of insurance per vehicle. They use personal insurances insurance. with a special waiver thing that Uber gives them that allows them to use the, the poor little girl here in San Francisco that got run over and killed by an Uber driver when the parent went to say, okay, give me your insurance so that I can pursue this and sue. The person had personal insurance, oh, which boy. the personal insurance canceled them. Wow. So now this poor parent who lost the daughter on uh, New Year's Eve uh, a couple, two, three years ago had no recourse. Now, they ended up suing them, and, and Uber ended up paying. Uh, but, but that's the kind of arena that you're in. And, and here's the deal. The major corporations that we're doing business with will not put 
their chief executive officers no, in they're vehicle, not in a, that's not vetted. That's not vetted. That's not vetted. That's correct. So, so you're so what you're saying is if Uber were to do everything that you had to do, and 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 of course they're not going to put their chief executive officer in a, the Uber's guy isn't going to get into a. Although he did get he into did a, get into <laughs> it, he did get into it, and and he got in trouble. Remember, <laughs> he got he got taped and everything. Yeah, he, he's no longer working yeah, now. Now there, there you go. So, all right, I answered my own question. So you're saying you know you won't uh, the chief executive of Mobile or Mobile doesn't exist anymore, but of Chevron. ExxonMobil or won't put their won't put their chief executive officer no in a way. non-vetted car. No way. Now, do you think Uber is working on a process to vet their people to have that same type of business? In other words, to move into your because right now you're in a protected lane, so to speak, because you're vetting your people. Do you or do you fear or do you want to take anything any strategic initiatives to stave off anything that they may want to try to do? But, well, what we want them to do is to hold and to have the same uh, criteria that we have. Right. If you're going to transport people from point A to point B for money, you have to have the proper insurances. You have to be drug screened. You have to be fingerprinted. You have to have background checks on people. It's public safety. You're getting, right. you're getting in a vehicle with someone that hasn't been, hasn't been vetted, hasn't gone through the state. You don't know what the What's background. What's going on. Yeah, so so it's, it's, a, it's not a safe environment. Inside a, a vehicle like that. Now today, that they're, they're, they're trying to come up with a program where they're where they're vetting people, but you're still seeing the same, same problems. Okay. I mean, and there's a situation where a person, uh, an Uber person, picked up a family who was going on vacation, uh, took them to the airport, and guess what? Doubled back and robbed the uh, house. Oh man. <laughs> you know, you got stuff like that. And that's just one example. And there are thousands of examples of things like that that are happening. And it's because the people are not vetted. And they're not vetted. Okay. We don't compete with, uh, we don't compete in, in that arena. With but but that software that you were talking about probably helps you too, because that is the equivalent you're, you're get, that is almost the equivalent of what the this Uber, software is a is the bomb is the bomb because what it, it does is it takes all <laughs> I just love talking it, it takes all of these different individuals that have their Uber and Lyft vehicles out there right and puts them in in a networking pool and that's what allows the app to be able to grab a car or an individual in two or three minutes right that technology is phenomenal. And we fell asleep at the at the switch in 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 the National Limousine Association, and for sure the taxi cabs have. Oh man, because goodness. they've completely decimated. The, I mean, uh, in New York, it, it it cost like hundred fifty thousand dollars to get a medallion. That's correct. And I know people who bought medallions for like hundred and fifty thousand back in the day. That was way back in the day. I mean, back, medallions back, these back days the day. are close to a million dollars. Yeah, now. that was back in the day. See, I, see now now you see now he's you telling, know how old. That's you are. right. That's you right. He's tell, he telling how old I am. But but I remember people paying that kind of money to get a medallion. Mm -hmm. And now it's just kind of worthless. Yes, it is worthless. Maurice Brewster just explained how Uber affects the transportation industry. You're listening to MOB, Masterminds of Business, and we are focused on delivering business knowledge from the masters of business. I'm Gerald Johnson, your host, and this is MOB number 10. We like hearing from new masterminds, so if you're a mastermind and have a great story to tell or a question to ask or need some help with your strategy, come on now, reach out. 
if you want to get in contact with us here at MOB, you can reach us at Sabacon Ideas on Twitter and on Facebook. That's S-A-B-A-C-O-N-I-D-E-A-S. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. We will continue with Mr. Maurice Brewster telling us what he's learned over the years. Wow. Wow. So you really, you took us through your business. You took us through what's going on, you know, in the modern world, you know, with the Ubers, the Lyfts. You took us through all that. Now let's just get some, just some basic, we're kind of going down to the close here, wrapping this thing up, some basic business deals. What, what do you think your guiding principles have been to get you from when you started in college? I mean, I just love with the Corinthian lever. I just love the Corinthian lever, you know, you know, chartering kids back and forth to now having a multinational uh, company where you, you're part of a network, where you're a trailblazer uh, in your industry, opening doors, creating jobs. What, what are your guiding principles? Well, you know, the biggest guiding principle for me is my, my faith. Doing things the right way and, and being uh, led by uh, my, my Lord and Savior Amen to that. You know that 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 that's that's the guiding principle, and, and he puts inside me the things that I need to do as an entrepreneur in order to have a phenomenal business, and those things the the, the basic tenets uh, have to do with making sure that I've got great people, processes, and procedures. Oh my goodness! See, you know, I, now on this show, now you don't hear this, but you know, there's going to be an intro when you get the. There's going to be an intro, and I always talk about processes, people, customers, and resources. And today we talked about your resources, and we talked about you're talking about processes. That's what it's all about. Absolutely, all businesses. Yeah, yeah, especially when you, when you're scaling. When, when you're a small small business. Mom and popish mm-hmm. type business, you can you can you can get by without all of that. But you know, today we we employ over 111 people in our company, and um, um, and 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 we are operating in 196 countries worldwide. Wow! Uh, you have to have processes. You have to have really really good people, and uh, you have to have procedures in place in order to be successful. Because what it took to get you where you are today is not enough to propel you for the future. So where is where do you see global mosaic transportation going in the future? What's your goals? What's your vision? Because you know they say without vision, the people perish. So where are you going in the future? Where do you see your business going in the future? So what we've decided to do is to focus on the uh, meetings and events, group and destination management type business. Uh, the reason we've chosen that is because uh, that's the type of business that's Uber-proof. You're not going right. to have an Uber driver driving a 54-passenger um, motor coach. Right. It's just not going to happen. Nope. So um, that part of the business that we feel has been lost, uh, the taxicab business and, and, and the lower-end folks that are only interested in moving from point A to point B on price and not the importance of knowing who's driving you, we figured that, that business is it's it's not going to grow. That's right. So the aspect of the business that is growing for us is the employee shuttle business, and that's where these major corporations are uh, hiring our company to move their employees like from Google, 
exactly right. I mean, again, one of our one of our customers. I mean, so all my corporate listeners out there who are listening right now, any corporate listeners, and you need shuttle service for your employees. There you, you go, great commercial. This is where you got to call Maurice Brewster at Global Mosaic Transportation. There's who are you gonna, gonna call? A, Maurice. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna call Global so, Mosaic Global Transportation? That's, that's, that's what you. That's who you gonna call. That's, that's what's right. gonna go on. So one, just last. This is the last question, and then we're out of here. So the last question is. If you were, you know, tell, you know, to go back, I always say you maybe go back in time, address your younger self or telling a young buck who's, you know, not like me who has gray hair, but somebody coming up. What, what do they need to do? You gave one pearl of wisdom about you not going to a bank. You said, hey, go to the bank when you don't need the bank. So what, what would be some of the pearls maybe that you can throw their way? Three. Three I've got pearls. Three of them. Can I give three. you? Go ahead. Okay. So the first one is. Uh, establish a relationship early on with a bank before you need the money. Um, them growing with you, knowing you, and and giving you advice, that's going to work well um, uh, in your development as you grow your business and scale your business. So um, create a relationship with a bank. We didn't do that. Create a relationship with the bank. Number two is mentors. Um, uh, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Surround yourself with people that can support you, help you, guide you, direct you. You know, you don't know what it's like to uh, to be a $10 million business if you've never been a $10 million business. So be around eagles that can help you and, exactly. and, and, and develop you. The, the, the third, which really should be number one, is never lose your faith in, in, in God and, and the ability to be able to go to him and to ask for guidance. And, wow. and that's, that's what we've done all of our uh, Christian lives and definitely within our business lives. Um, uh, and and, and uh, I, would, I would caution the entrepreneur to make sure that you, uh, you do those things. And then, of course, you got to have a plan. That's right. you got to have a plan. you got to know where you want to go. I mean, today I could tell you that our, our one-year plan is that we're, we're going to grow probably somewhere around 25 to 30% this year, and I could tell you exactly how we're going to do it because I've got a plan. Right. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna grow to be a, a twenty million dollar business in in two years. I can tell you that because we got a plan. We got a plan, and then ultimately, uh, you know, we thought that this business was going to be a legacy business where we were going to hand it off to our kids. They don't want the business. Dang, these Dang, kids. Dang, what was wrong with them taking I don't, a, I, I don't, a 20, 30, 40 million dollar business and not interested in it? I don't, I don't get it. I these, don't get it. These millennials, they want to do their thing. I don't think. Well, um, let them do their thing. Watch, they're going to be like, Daddy, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I you know. <laughs> oh, Daddy, Daddy. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, wow. Maurice. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for meeting me here today, for your time, for your expertise. Thanks for, you know, just throwing some knowledge out there into the universe and helping these young bucks grow. It is absolutely my pleasure. And, and I'm going to leave you with a song. Can I leave you with a song? Leave me with a song. I'm going to make sure it goes on there. Leave me with a song. Put All right there. We are here with Maurice Brewster. We're dancing in the studio right now. We're just kind of moving and grooving. <laughs> oh, man. Come on, Joe, sing with me. You ready? Cause I'm happy. Alone if you feel like a room without a roof. Cause I'm happy. <laughs> 
All right now. All right. Woo! That was great. Awesome. That was awesome. That was awesome. Well, that's it for today. I want to thank our engineer extraordinaire, Frank Sterling. And if you want to learn more about strategic thinking, marketing, or sales force development, please get in contact with us. You can reach us at sabacon.net forward slash MOB or at Sabacon Ideas on Twitter and on Facebook. That's S-A-B-A-C-O-N-I-D-E-A-S. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, write a review. And remember, until next time, nothing happens unless you make it happen. Hey.